You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopoly through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Welcome listeners to the Renegade Economist. This week, uh, broadcasting from the Kanjini Eco-Inspirations gathering that was held uh, on the Atherton Tablelands, or just near it in Mariba. And uh, we're joined by Svago and Suha, who are uh, the two of the prime organisers behind the Kanjini Co-op. So Svago, can you start us off with the basics? What inspired you to, uh, to buy this beautiful land? Uh, the inspiration was to create a sustainable rural community where I can become a, a lot more sustainable than I could possibly by living with just a small bunch of people on a small property. So you know, we bought the inspiration behind this large property is that we can grow our own food. We can have very clean water for aquaculture. We can create our own energy on this place. We could possibly even uh, uh, put in uh, hydro storage systems instead of batteries because we have uh, high level uh, differences in elevation on this property. We could uh, plant uh, diesel uh, trees to create, get uh, our fuel for vehicles and machinery. So it's so much more is possible on this particular property than on the small place I've been living before. Mm. And so how, just how big is this place and how long does it take to, to drive around? Uh, are you always discovering new pockets? So the property originally when we bought it was 7,500 acres of land. Um, when we're all through, we're hoping to have a little over 5,000 acres. And the tour, the tour, let me say, <laughs> is um, it takes actually about three hours to get around the whole property, stop, get out, explore a little bit on the tour. It can, of course, be done shorter if you're just driving, which takes about an hour and a half, two hours just on driving, and that's on the tracks, and that only takes you to a portion of the land. So it's definitely a mission to get around, which is really beautiful because there are constantly new pockets. So you find little areas, like I found amazing little freshwater springs that I've discovered on walks, and then you'll find you know, different soil types and completely different, uh, just the fauna and different wildlife and so there's such a different variety different ecosystems spread out on this individual property which i think gives it just the opportunities are limitless really and the emerald creek runs through the property and there are waterfalls here so uh we're the first on emerald creek so the spring is uh the property surrounded by world heritage and emerald creek the spring for it is in the world heritage there's a little bit of state forest just a very small section a picnic area and then the rest is us so what we loved about that part is that we're really pretty much first on the water there's no farms up river from us we're not getting any chemicals we're not getting any runoff anything we actually the whole water catchment for emerald creek is actually on our property as well so we know what's going in the water which was a really important thing because nowadays you just don't know what you find in most creeks and rivers so it's a really just such i don't know such a gem to have clean fresh water on your properties 
Wow. So you're, you're set up beautifully then for whatever comes. Hey, you've got the land um, and it seems like you've got a, a reasonable economic plan. Uh, would you like to discuss that? You talked about um, uh, selling uh, some of the land in, yeah, you've, you've set that up in lots. So you've owned the land for how long? We bought the land in uh, December 2012, actually, settlement day for us was the 21st of December 2012. The end of the world, as we That was the end, <laughs> the end of the Mayan calendar, which was our settlement day, and that wasn't us doing it, it was the solicitors of the two sites arranging that, <laughs> but it just <laughs> fit it perfectly. <laughs> and uh, we had two and a half, two months, so, so two, two and a half months to get uh, about two and a half million dollars together to uh, to get this property and uh, it all sort of fell into place in the last moment but it did involve a large uh, a very large loan uh, a million dollar sort of loan from the bank and uh, so the business idea in order to make this all happen was to subdivide about 900 acres of land off into uh, eight lots and sell them off to get the bank of our back and then own the rest of the land uh, without being dependent on the bank, there's still some bank loans to some of the uh, some loans to some of the members, but no more. We're not dependent on the bank anymore. We've Beautiful. now sold uh, three of those lots off, we, uh, and uh, just about to do the second stage, which is the second four lots. Okay, good, good. And so, more about the Kangini Co-op. Then, what are the the broad aims of uh, this group? Well, that's pretty much what I said before, is uh, to develop this land into a bit of a model for sustainability. And the prime purpose is not to be a model, but for us to actually be sleeping better at night because we are not part of the problem anymore. We are part of the solution. Mm. But at the same time, we can actually showcase all those solutions to the wider community up here and hopefully inspire all of the tablelands to become organic and run on a renewable energy and you know have a sewage system which actually take care of the country and make themselves useful rather than just put it somewhere so <laughs> you're looking at methane harvesting as well methane harvesting yes we definitely look uh, uh, it's one of my personal pet projects is uh, um, biogas plants I have worked on biogas plants in uh, in uh, Asia and India and uh, Sri Lanka, and uh, also on windmills and solar projects and stuff like that. And uh, I love those things, so I certainly like to see a few of those here. <laughs> the jack of all trades, Vargo uh, described his industry to me, and uh, sounds like it. Yeah, well, it, it's so much potential. And then, how has the community, the local community, taken to the the concept? Um, yeah, there's there's so much talk about this, and there's a lot of communities actually um, setting up, aren't there? So, uh, from what I've seen, you, you've got uh, most of it organised, and and you have uh, already town planning approval for some of those subdivisions. So, step us through some of those elements. All right. Well, that's a bit of a two-part question there. So let me start with the first <laughs> a classic part. Classic Carl question. Yes. On <laughs> about how the wider community has accepted us and everything. I think it's it's quite interesting because uh, a lot of people just love what we're doing and support the whole concept and the idea. Um, 
but it's one of those everyone's so busy and it's not always easy to contribute and they love the idea and love that we're doing it but we don't always manage to get all the support we could use but we do have a lot of definitely moral support from the wider community they love what we're doing and especially starting to put on events like this weekend for eco inspirations it's a way for us to kind of invite the wider community to come in and really enjoy and experience some of the you know beautiful things that we have to offer here and you know just learn and grow together as well because I think that's so important as far as some of the other communities starting I think yeah the table ends I think there used to be a lot of smaller communities you know back in the 70s and 80s and then there just really hasn't been much and now in the rest of Australia there's a lot happening and still up in this area far north Queensland there's very little so I feel like it's kind of just coming around where everyone goes there's great ones down south but there's just never anything up here so I think everyone's kind of catching on that I I, I want one there's just not any so how are we going to create it so enough people have come together and that's something we actually helped form as an alliance of different community sustainable communities up on the tablelands here in the far north Queensland to kind of work together so it's uh, FNQ sustainable community alliance and we love it because we're all very different models and I think it's really important that people don't think that a community is just one way of living there's so many different models of living there's very close there's very separate there's business there's no business there's you know every person has their individual needs and requirements and what is comfortable for them and instead of just saying that doesn't work but looking at which parts do work and which parts don't and finding what really fits for each individual and that was a big reason we wanted to get together so it wasn't just you have to enjoy my style of it but there's lots of options for it so that was a big one now your second part of your question which was about uh, development applications and subdivisions mm. and plans like that third part kind of yeah more it was more three part question than two <laughs> um uh yes we actually work a lot with council and that was actually a really big part of what we wanted to do is to work with council as being a part of the community because if we upset council it just makes it harder for other communities to start so as part of um building our community on the land but building the community of the whole tablelands is helping to actually educate the council on these new renewable sustainable things because they're not you know at a level where they've seen a lot of that and if it has been done it's done you know very behind their back and then they have to close it down so they become a bit skeptical so we really try and work with them to you know help educate on things and to step forward and try new things as well and we don't want to do you know it's a large property let's just hide in the back of the hills and they won't figure it out we really want to change the whole mentality of the area rather than just do what suits us for a couple of years and then the next generation has to deal with what we started so we do work a lot in development applications making sure building plans are approved making sure um, all of these things are done so yeah the subdivisions have all gone through we've also have another development plan to get a couple of extra houses on the property to get us started out here and also the approval to do 11 private camping spots across the property as well doing some amazing uh, composting toilet ideas which originally was not something council was too excited about but working with them they're really opening up to some really great concepts so I think that's a big part of us is let's do it the right way. Wow does that mean uh, we'll see Kangini on uh What's it called? Ucamp.com. 
That is the plan. Um, I'm going to start off a little bit smaller and just kind of start with phone calls and maybe a little bit on my own website. But yes, my that was UCAMP was definitely it's come up to us many times. Uh, actually, one of the insurance companies we're working for is created through UCAMP for camping businesses like that. So we're actually looking at working with them. So definitely going to be involved in that area. Oh, you'll so. be on wiki camps and everywhere then. <laughs> Most likely. <laughs> and it's really been interesting uh, this weekend seeing some of these themes we talk about on the Renegade Economist of the community working together. And we, um, I often mention helpx.net um, with all of these hundreds of thousands of travelers on our road, as Pirate Rick mentioned on last week's show, how can we open our doors and show them um, some of Australia and at the same time uh, work together on the land to build up community resources? And it seems like uh, that's the pathway you're on. Um, yeah, so it's like we want to do more and more of. Unfortunately, a lot of the governments made that more and more difficult over the last couple of years by changing the laws where backpackers now have to actually, they're getting taxed on everything. The other part is that volunteer work no longer classifies for a second year visa. So you actually have to be making money in order to get that second year working visa. And that was a huge part of where the volunteer work came from. So I have to say in the last year since that part changed, We've gone to hearing hardly anything from people wanting to come and just volunteer on the weekend or, you know, for a week or a month or something. So that's taken quite a big hit on that area as well. Mm. Um, But I think for me, I'd really love to set it up more in a way. And it's like I've heard a lot is getting to a point where you can do it in more of like an interim program. And again, working with some of the other communities where maybe we can get a few people that can rotate around to help different communities. Because I usually have, you know, a few days where I need a lot of help, but then I just am trying to fill in the blanks on the rest of the time while I'm busy doing other jobs myself. Mm. And I just think that would be an amazing way to do it is if there was actually a, you know, almost a circuit of areas and places where people could go stay and do a few days here with me, a few days there, even come back again. And, and kind of work on that level as well. So With some of the geo-mapping that's going on online, there's a online commons type movement of, of mapping where the free camping places are, where the intentional communities are. And in time, we'll, we'll get uh, some sort of bartering system really up and running so that uh, well, HelpX is a, a form of bartering. You get free food and accommodation and internet um, for your time helping around the house, you know, uh, around the property for 20 to 30 hours a week. So th- there are new ways coming through. And um, my lead in on that was talking about the amazing people from Pedals who came here this weekend. Would you like to discuss that? Sure. That one was um, just a total lifesaver and exactly what this whole event was about. So it was a great way to start it all. Um, I had just put out that it was getting really close to the event and I unfortunately got sick the week before, if you don't hear my voice, and just got to a point where I didn't manage to get as much done as I had hoped without the strength. And so I just put out a call and said I could really use some help. And uh, old friend that I've just reconnected with is staying out at a community in Tolga at Petals and he gave me a ring that night and said oh um we could come out tomorrow with about you know seven to ten people and give you a hand and I just was over the moon I was like oh my god yes that would be so amazing 
And then not only did they do that, it ended up being even more. So I think that was around 13 people from what I understood. I didn't count them while they were here, but that's what they said on their way out. And uh, they came and did workshops on beautiful flower arrangements and talks. And we were all working together and shared a meal. And it was just such an amazing connection to make to another community around here that's working on really similar projects as well. So I think there's so much that we can benefit from each other, whether it's, you know, uh, just technology on how to work with council on a new project or whether it is just physically coming out and, you know, putting up tarps for an event. So there's so much room to support and help one another. So amazing story and definitely thank you to the crew at Petals. You're on The Renegade Economist uh, with Carl Fitzgerald and this week we're talking to the Kangini Co-op coordinators, do I call you, Svago, and Suha. Members. Members, well, can we switch onto that side of the story then? You explain a bit of the, the corporate structure of how you've arranged the co-op here. Is it corporate or...? Actually, just a bit of history. We started meeting uh, with a bunch of people uh, over 10 years ago. And right in the beginning, there was a bit of a split in the group. There was a bunch of people which really wanted to have their own property ownership and couldn't really afford to go out and buy a property, so they wanted to do it together. And another part of the initial meeting group wanted to not have individual ownership of any land, because there was some belief that uh, no land shouldn't be owned. We're supposed to be caretakers and pass it on to the next generation as something more beautiful and and better. But the very notion of ownership in Western society has destroyed a lot of land. There's a lot of people in our society, sadly, which say, this is my land, I can do what I want. And we wanted to move away from that and not have individual ownership, but to live together, share, break bread together, work together, celebrate and meditate together. Yes, we all need private spaces. That's true, we all got to be able to shut the door and have our own space but we don't need all of us a whole house. We can share the kitchen, we can share the laundry. So the first of those groups which wanted the individual orange, they were looking at a particular property and they tried to get things together to buy that and somehow it didn't work. And the second part of the group, that is what kept on meeting and kept on meeting. And six years ago, this celebration here, uh, this uh, eco-inspiration was uh, our sixth birthday celebration, we formed a cooperative. And it took us quite a while to, what we did first is to develop the vision of what do we actually want to do together. And we spent quite a lot of time on that, it took us about two years. Then we looked at what legal structure do we want to choose. And we sort of looked at uh, companies and uh, and cooperatives and that found a few differences where in a company you've got one dollar one vote in a cooperative you got one person one vote and we thought that is much better for what we want to do and it also has an advantage that in a cooperative we can have a set of behavioral rules for example we have a rule that no one is allowed to commit physical violence against another person on our land. And if somebody does, they're breaking that particular rule and that means they're not an active member anymore. And if they do it again and again, they can be expelled. 
in a company we were told it's nearly impossible to actually ever get rid of a shareholder while as a in a cooperative we can do that so it gives us a lot more protection flexibility with who actually comes in and how these people behave. Yeah? We also have very strict, uh, uh, very clear conflict resolution policies because conflict in a bunch of people is unavoidable. Unavoidable. Every family there's conflict. A wife, a husband, parents, kids, there's always conflict. What we need to learn is to deal with that conflict so that it doesn't grow into a pile of dirt under the carpet where everyone falls over after a while and it creates a stink. That's certainly the case, isn't it? Uh, intentional conversations are very useful. Um, but uh, I want to delve back into the corporate structure and just ask about the shareholding arrangement and wondering if you could spell out how, how that works. Yeah, thanks for asking about that because, yes, that took us a long time too to develop. Um, we got the model rules from uh, the Office of Fair Trading, which is our overseeing body, and it took us about a year to go through them and look at, is that really what we want? Does that really suit us? And we made quite a lot of changes. One is uh, transparency. We are totally transparent. We want every member to know what's going on. Every member has a right to come to every director's meeting. Yes, we have a board of directors because especially once we have 50 or 100 people living on this property, members, that many members, it becomes very difficult to make a decision. So it's good to have a small board to be effective. But every one of those members can come to every board meeting and actually observe what's happening. So it's not behind closed doors. And if something, if members do not like what's happening in a board meeting, only 10% of members, which is a very small number, can call a full members meeting and deal with that issue and overturn wow, it if they want to. Wow, that is low, 10%. Yes, because we really want everyone to be happy with what happens. That's important. And to come to your shareholding question is, and in the process we realized there's some people which were you know, blessed enough to make a lot of money or inherited it or have money. And sometimes those people can't because they're often they're older people they can't do much anymore and there's other people which have tons of energy but no money very little money so we developed a share structure where we have full shares which are currently still a hundred thousand dollars and we also have what we call an introductory share and it took a long time and to get that accepted by the authorities initially they didn't want us to do that where somebody can uh, uh, have a share for $10,000, and both of those shares can be applied for with only a 20% deposit. So that means that somebody can join Congeni with $2,000 and then make an agreement on how to pay off the rest. And it can be payments, it can be partly work, it, it's just between the cooperative and the person of what agreement is taken over what period of time uh, that happens. Now the introductory share for legal reasons can be valid only for three years. So basically somebody who starts with 2000 has got three years to come up with the other 18000 to use the $10,000 introductory share to buy to apply for a full share. Otherwise, they will lose that 10000 mm -hmm. but they do get benefits equivalent to 10000 during that time. 
And what would they be? Um, um, cheaper uh, maintenance contribution, but uh, if they live here, mainly, yeah, mm -hmm. they have the they they have a right for any accommodation which we have available and possible. And obviously, we cannot offer accommodation to members if we haven't got it. But as soon as we have a, a accommodation, members, depending on how long their membership has been, uh, have right to get to that accommodation and the full members pay a lot less the introductory members pay more and visitors pay a lot more mm -hmm. so that's the basic structure of uh, the contributions we asked and we call it maintenance contribution from the people which actually are going to live here and so if you're a full shareholder how is uh, uh, their timeline expectation for um, living here and the town planning process and the development of of more more than a couple of homes how's that um, sitting on the timeline horizon um, that hasn't got a timeline as such it depends on uh, uh, the number of shareholders we come if we you know, next if next week uh, half a dozen people apply for share and have a hundred thousand dollars each we've got the money to start building our another big building another big share house or the main community house yeah so yeah the, the business idea is we use the subdivision sales to get the bank of our bank we use the two existing houses which are here in the moment and the leases to uh, service the interest mm -hmm. and new shareholders money can be used to build additional dwellings and share houses to get people on the land very good. So it's you know three, two and a half, three years. It's been thought through very solidly. You, you, you must be feeling like uh, you know you're ready to take the next step. Uh, how's the promotion going of the this the system and the community? You know how far off do you foresee there being another six major shareholders so that you can get this community house up and running? Uh, to be honest, I've become a, a lot more careful in answering that question. <laughs> because my optimistic, my optimistic nature would say, oh, well, hopefully in two or three months. <laughs> but my experience has shown that is, uh, uh, we have an awful lot of people which are very interested in this project, but the vast majority of them like to sit on, keep sitting on the fence till everything is nice and developed and, and jump on the bandwagon. So we really need to see to find a few more people which are willing to go for it and uh, make it happen yeah yeah well a hundred thousand dollars that's not much is it really when you consider the cost of housing that's out there when when i heard you talk yesterday carl about uh, the uh, projects you were talking about down south and uh, you know the three hundred thousand dollars for the land one hundred fifty thousand dollars for a space that adds up to a lot more and what we got to offer here is you know, an equal share in, in over 5,000 acres with this beautiful 20-acre lake we're sitting next to and three kilometers along the pristine river and rich agricultural soils and, 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 a, and a personal space. Wow, well, it sounds like uh, the right people are going to turn up soon because uh, everything is uh, sitting very nicely here after a beautiful weekend at Eco Inspiration. All right, well, thanks so much for Svago and Suha from the Kanjini Co-op for joining us here on The Renegade Economist. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming, Carl.
Suha and Spargo from the Kangini.org co-op, K-A-N-J-I-N-I.org co-op, uh, discussing uh, their incredible property they have up in tropical North Queensland. And uh, as they use the term there, maintenance contribution, which uh, is uh, also known as rent. But uh, uh, interesting to see that uh, uh, over the weekend, uh, many of their members were very supportive of the community land trust concept, which is just so important when we're talking about long-term communities, because over time, the, the productivity of people working on land and uh, all of the resources that can be built ends up being capitalized into higher and higher land prices. So the, the sort of earthy, creative types who uh, were attracted to that community in the first place uh, possibly can't afford to buy in for the second generation. And that's what undoes a lot of uh, intentional communities is um, A, uh, the, the price um, escalating and B, the co-op itself or the, the land trust not having the liquidity it needs to keep expanding. So we keep forging ahead on this all the good things journey. Uh, wish us luck. We're just about to head west across to Darwin via the Savannah Way. All right, my name's Carl Fitzgerald. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sharing the show with your networks. Check out the show notes on earthsharing.org.